So if you think that angry mobs are bad and you think that politicians shouldn't be inciting violence with their rhetoric and you have been obsessing about this over Donald Trump, pay attention to what the Democrats have done with these abortion radicals. Uh, and it's going to get worse. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold alongside with Scott Jennings, Kevin Grouch, John Southerd, Jared Crawford. We're doing this remotely and from several different states and locations uh, on this Wednesday, June 8th, approximately 9.37 Eastern Time. Scott and I back from the great Northwest and state of Alaska. Scott, we both survived, and uh, we won't bore folks with our entire travel log, but pretty amazing trip. It was amazing, and it's good to be back on the air here with Flower Country. We've had a couple of weeks hiatus of folks out traveling and taking advantage of the summer, and uh, we're all glad to have done that. Our travels, Joe, were Really magnificent. We cruised up and down the Alaskan coast and saw glaciers and eagles and whales and seals and uh, really America the beautiful up there uh, in uh, in Alaska. I'd never been and and uh, it did not disappoint. Well, thrilled for your family and for mine and for of course thousands of other people that were joining us on on the cruise. And at some point, we may have to put together the flyover country cruise. Oh, together man. and wow we we should if we're going to do it we got to go back to alaska because there's more to see it's a big place <laughs> it, it's quite significant it's not small it's, it's <laughs> more than that coming up uh on this uh, episode this edition of flyover country we are going to uh, take a look back at this week's uh primaries especially out in california what does that say about the uh political temperament right now poll ratings going on for the president inflation, gasoline prices, and things of this nature. I do want to start, Scott, and, and friends, uh, with, with the, uh, some of the news, basically, of, of well, crime, safety, security, uh, and, and certainly we are, we are going to discuss the, the goings-on with the, the tragedies with the recent mass shootings in Texas and, and New York. But the, I guess the breaking news of the day just to start with, is it has to be the uh, threat against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, a, a man found near his home, fully armed and admitting to his his threats to want to assassinate uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Apparently, can upset about a variety of things, including the uh, the pending Supreme Court decision on uh, on Roe v. Wade perhaps being overturned. Uh, so, Scott, I guess this is maybe the whirlwind being reaped here. Yeah, this this is a, I mean, well, first of all, this has not been as big a news story today. It's been breaking all day, but it's not been as big a news story as it should have been. Number one, it's been treated by some media outlets like an afterthought, candidly, and that's pretty bad. Number two, I mean, let's be honest. If if this were a threat against a liberal justice, or had it been against Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, if she were still on the court and alive, I mean, you know how you know how it would have been treated. But um, anyway. Uh, it's a huge story because this week Washington is consumed with the run up to the January 6th committee hearing. And the entire theory of the case for the Democrats is that Donald Trump, via his words and actions, incited a violent mob. Now, this is a theory that that uh, they're going to try to find evidence for and make a case that the American people should hold it against the Republicans in, in 22 and 24. In the case of this assassin, this would-be assassin of Brett Kavanaugh, if you look at the rhetoric of Chuck Schumer, if you look at the rhetoric of other Democrats, if you look at the Biden White House refusing to tell people to go away, to tell people that it's not a good idea to gather up at Supreme Court justices' homes, I think you could make a case that uh, what has gone around is coming around here. And if you want to believe that Donald Trump's words and actions incited an angry mob to do what they did, then you have to take a critical look at what Chuck Schumer has said about the Supreme Court. You'll reap the whirlwind. You'll pay. You have to look at the Biden White House being basically silent on this. You have to look at the fact that the Department of Homeland Security is investigating apparently hundreds of threats to the Supreme Court 
people threatening to murder the justices, murder the clerks, and burn down the building. They put a fence up around it. I was just in D.C. I saw the fence. You've got this guy showing up at Kavanaugh's house last night, and as we record this tonight, an angry mob is on his front yard again tonight. The same group that's been sending out his address on the Internet is there tonight, less than 24 hours after an assassin was arrested and charged with attempted murder. So if you think that angry mobs are bad and you think that politicians shouldn't be inciting violence with their rhetoric and you have been obsessing about this over Donald Trump, pay attention to what the Democrats have done with these abortion radicals. Uh, and it's going to get worse. I mean, we're, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get this Dobbs decision and it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. And I, I just don't think you can cover January 6 hearings without considering the impact of the violent rhetoric uh, that Democrats have had around the abortion issue. We had a tragedy in Michigan with a, a judge who was uh, killed by someone who apparently he had previously prosecuted, and he had a long list of uh, politicians on that, on his kill list as well, uh, including some national leaders along that way. And I mean, there is a consistent crime and punishment, uh, you know, theme here, you know, in, in terms of uh, how serious are we about about that? Kevin, political, Sean. Po political violence. I mean, look, we had the congressional baseball shooting. Uh, we've had, you know, for the last few years, this has been building. And Democrats have acted like this is a and it's in the way it gets covered. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like it's a right wing only issue. But look what's going on around the country. The Kavanaugh guy is the latest example. But over the last few weeks, there have been a number of incidents at churches, pregnancy centers. I mean, you've had a number of pro-abortion radicals vandalizing or worse places around the country. Uh, it's it, it's it's there is a rising tide on this issue, and the Democratic Party, led by the president, has done nothing to tamp it down. And I, I would say it, it's not even that recent. I mean. You mentioned Chuck Schumer and the reap the whirlwind. Uh, you go back to last summer when his own members were being chased around and he said virtually nothing. nothing. Senator Cinema was assaulted in a bathroom. Uh, Joe Manchin was was blocked in his car. He couldn't he couldn't get anywhere. They got to his houseboat with his wife there, I think. Uh, and Senator Schumer for all intents and purposes, said nothing. By letting those small things go, it's continued to escalate and escalate. And as you said, Scott, that that radical group Ruth sent us that's been protesting at churches around the country and making huge threats, they were proudly going back to Kavanaugh's house tonight. They said, oh, well, he was a few streets away with a gun. Big deal. Um, because there, our leaders have not shut this down before, it's only continued to escalate. And they're still not shutting it down. The, the intimidation is the point, right? I mean, you know, the, and, and if you look at what happened on January 6th, a group of people wanted to intimidate Congress into doing something extracurricular, extra-constitutional. That was the point. The point with the Supreme Court is the same. A group of people want to intimidate justices into making decisions, not based on the law, not based on their, you know, legal principles that, that, that they research and believe in, but based on intimidation. So if you're mad about one and you don't think government ought to be run by mobs that intimidate, then you really ought to be mad about the other. And that is the hypocrisy in this. And I think the Democrats had already candidly politicized this January 6th hearing process enough. But if they don't come out and condemn what these uh, abortion radicals are doing, or if they continue to embrace it and encourage it the way they have, whatever shred, little shreds of credibility their January 6th investigation has left will be gone because the hypocrisy will be so obvious and will stink so bad. Well, and these people never learn. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago that we were talking about the fact that the White House had essentially embraced the idea that you should go attack Supreme Court justices at their home from the press podium. And like it took a few days, they tried to clean it up, but they never actually fully embraced the idea that, you know what, going to a Supreme Court justice's house and, and trying to intimidate them, embracing the politics of intimidation is not something that we as a, an organization should do, or we as a country should believe in. And 
and they they are all in on this stuff. The only thing that the left believes in this country is in the politics of intimidation, uh, and and it, it is that's the only tradition that that they embrace. I was talking today to a abortion rights advocate, and who who suggested that the these intimidation, the, the, these protests, and frankly this assassination uh, plot that was revealed with the arrest this morning of this man in outside Brett Kavanaugh's house might affect the timing of the release of the Supreme Court's decision on the Dobbs case, which could, if that leak earlier is true or holds up, could, you know, in fact, reverse Roe v. Wade. And I guess in that way, I mean, if, if even if the timing is affected, you know, I, I guess that the point is intimidation has a, is, is a factor. I mean, it, it, it can have effect, an effect of nothing else on the timing of it. Is there any concern from any of you that the Supreme Court might actually be affected by these threats? In the same way that the, on January 6th, both the House and the Senate returned to their chambers and certified the election and stood up for their institution and said, we will not be bullied. I think it's important that the Supreme Court move forward. I'm not saying they need to release an opinion tomorrow. I think they need to say their intimidation tactics do nothing for us. You know, yeah, what's different I, is, I, I, I was going to say, Scott, what's, what's different is the, I mean, obviously the attack on the Capitol was horrendous and, and uh, indefensible. Uh, but the difference there was, for the most part, even though some of the members of Congress had their families with them, there is something about the young children of Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, you know, and being somewhat threatened as well by people outside those homes. So, Scott, I just want to point that out. But what do you think? Well, I, I think the court ought to act in the in the way that the institution would demand that it act. I think it ought to act on its own calendar. I think it ought to act. Um, independent of any external factors. Uh, I've seen some people suggesting they should just go ahead and release all the decisions and, and including this one and, and call it good. I, I think the court ought to act in as independent a way as possible. And that means sticking to its own good time. Now, obviously there's a period of time here where the, where the decisions come out, but I want them to do, uh, I don't want them to, to feel like they've had to change course because of intimidation tactics. I also think though, it is imperative that Justice Roberts, the chief, get to the bottom of the leak. I mean, the leak here has put a man's life in danger. It has put the Supreme Court in danger. Uh, it has set off a series of violent political activities around the country. I suspect there will be more. And so until we get to the bottom of this, until we know who caused this, how it happened, and the tactics behind it, um, I don't think we can close the book on this. And so I want the court to do what it's supposed to do, but I also want the chief to restore integrity to the court by uh, telling us exactly how this happened. Now, Joe, you and I had a chance to interview uh, for a radio show we were hosting the other day, a, a pretty plugged in lawyer. And we asked him if, if he thought that the leaker would ever be found. And he told us, no, he, he conducted a number of leak investigations and he, he told us he thought it was unlikely that the person would be caught. I hope he's wrong. I really hope he's wrong because this person needs to be held accountable uh, to the fullest extent possible. And, and Joe, you mentioned the Supreme Court families are also at, at risk here. And you're right. And I, I think in response to some of these threats out there, the Senate unanimously passed a bill uh, with new funding to secure the Supreme Court building and provide security for the justices, the clerks, and the entire institution. They passed it unanimously weeks ago, and it has stalled in the House. Um, and then, you know, we get the news today that there's been an assassination attempt, and the House still hasn't passed it. They claim to have some sort of policy issues with it, but they just haven't let anything happen to it for weeks. They've been out on recess for long amounts of time. So it's, you know, their job to provide for the defense of these other institutions and the Democrat leadership in the house has failed to do that. And they failed to do it today after an assassination attempt. I'm, I'm looking at my Twitter feed here and it's about nine 51 uh, on Wednesday night. I don't know what the house is going to do after we post this thing, but as we sit here tonight, I'm looking at a, a video and a tweet from house Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, who says that Democrats have just blocked a bill to provide more security for the Supreme court. This bill passed unanimously in the Senate. Pelosi refuses to bring it up for a vote, despite today's 
foiled plot to kill Justice Kavanaugh. So I guess as we sit here right now, nothing has yet happened. Uh, maybe it will. But at the moment, I mean, it, it, aren't the politics of this clear, though, that the Democrats in the House are so uh, beholden to or so healed by these abortion radicals that they can't even protect Supreme Court justices from the most violent? I mean, it. I mean, that, it's obvious to me that's what's happening, that, that, that they are so afraid of this uh, fringe violent radical group in their in their political base that they they won't act on it yeah i think one of the things that's so frustrating to me both kevin and scott mentioned that word institution a couple of times during the donald trump years all we heard about was institutions 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 matter and with the flip of a switch the left has taken this position that not only is the institution of the supreme court you know, completely illegitimate. And of course it doesn't matter. I mean, how could you believe anything that comes out of there? It's completely, you know, blow it up, tear it down and, and start over again. I mean, it's, it's incredibly frustrating, but I mean, even to the, you know, it's not just these like, you know, pro abortion groups. I mean, the left has embraced this idea essentially overnight that the Supreme court does not matter as an institution, as a, as a governing body in no way, shape or form. That to me is just incredibly frustrating and really, really, really dangerous. Jared, I think, I think that is a really astute observation. And, and I'll just add to it by saying they, they've also, I think, come to the view that the law doesn't matter. You know, yeah. that, that rule by uh, mob mentality yeah. is more important than being a nation of laws. And, um, and that rule by intimidation I mean, remember when Kavanaugh was being confirmed, you know, you had mobs in and around the Senate trying to intimidate, chasing United States senators onto elevators, trying to intimidate them on their vote. Now you have these mobs at Kavanaugh's front yard. You have a radical trying to kill him. You, you have mobs forming at the Supreme Court every day. This is why they've had to put fences up. And you apparently have mobs threatening to burn the building down. I mean, it, 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 it's it's more than the institutions. It's the actual integrity of the fabric of our of the way we govern ourselves. And they have thrown that completely out the window because of abortion. I mean, that's how much which, by the way, striking down Roe versus Wade does not eliminate abortion in the United States. It'll send it back to the states. There'll be places where you can get an abortion. There are already Democrat states essentially touting abortion tourism. And so it just, this doesn't end abortion rights. It sends it back to the states. Uh, and for that, and for that, uh, they're willing to throw out our institutions, our laws, uh, and, and really our civil society. Joe? Well, I was going to say, because you're, you're uh, just follow that path, our laws, our institutions, what you're talking about is a post-constitutional America, because this has been going on for the last couple of years, where the, and the narrative, which is building, is one that the Constitution was framed by faulty people on faulty principles, an unjust world. And as a result, it is, it, it, it's indefensible. And this is the natural conclusion of all of that. The system of American jurisprudence, the, the system of, of constitutional government, the republic that we have, the separation of powers, all the things you just talked about, all the institutions that up until this point have enjoyed a fairly unanimous respect among, no matter what you know, uh, stripe you are politically, it's like, well, we all kind of agree that those are the, 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 the goalposts we're going to work within. Those are the, the pillars that we still, we, we all agree on that part. Okay, but then, then you, can, you can battle it out within those, those confines, you know, those parameters in terms of what you think is the best version of it. But now we're to the point where now those institutions themselves are corrupt. And it, it actually, I mean, it, it goes to, frankly, some of the conversations after the, I mentioned the gun violence and, and the mass shootings. And, and there's a belief, and what is being said now is the Constitution does not work. We have to look super constitutionally for, a, for a, a solution to these problems because the way that our country is devised right now, there's not a solution right now where we can find that's going to actually fix the problem. And, and, and on the January 6th committee, I mean, ostensibly they're they're trying to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. And what do you see the Democrats saying they want to do with it this week? Well, we want to use this as a vehicle to abolish the Electoral College. Right. I mean, that's not the purpose of this. <laughs> that is not the purpose of this. The purpose and of this is to, supposed to be fact-finding on, on what was a, a dark day. And they immediately took it to a different extra constitutional place, again, because this is 
This is what their base demands. And so uh, I would call it partisan, but it's not partisan. It's it's it really is radical. It's anti-institution and uh, it's a really dangerous uh, path of thinking for a political party. Kevin? Kevin. And they they were pretty blatant about it, that they're using it to reset their midterm message. You know, they they're hiring producers. They're setting up this committee hearing during prime time and then shaming Fox News for not covering it wall to wall. Like this is this is the, an election strategy more than it is to get to the root of a dark day or to protect, you know, the physical capital or anybody who works there. It's, that's, that's it's probably blatant. a good way for us to, to segue into into Joe yeah. Biden, because I, I agree with Kevin. I, you know, I look, I think this January 6th committee. There are things that we need to know about this. I think we know almost everything. There are things we do need to know about it. Uh, but I think they've so uh, weaponized it as a political cudgel that it's going it's going to have no impact on how people view this. If you think Donald Trump is the devil, then you're going to continue to think that. And if you're somebody who wanted the fact-finding or if you're somebody who is a Republican, uh, then you're probably not going to trust it because the way they've treated it. But is there any doubt? Is there any doubt that the whole purpose of this now is to distract from the, the rest of the political condition in this country? If you look at the polling today, Joe Biden has never been in worse shape. His numbers on the economy, on inflation, on immigration, on dealing with the, the crime, dealing with the problems of the country are so bad. Democrats have stopped looking for facts and started looking for distractions because uh, the midterm wipeout is coming. If, if Biden is in this shape in November, if gas is $5 a gallon, uh, it'll be Katie bar the door on Republicans. Yeah. This, so this, you're talking about the, uh, this latest was well, a, a number of polls uh, that are out right now, but uh, you know, majority of Americans, 56% approve of Biden's COVID response. 37% though, Scott, approve of his handling of the economic recovery. And I don't know, and I guess, you know, 28% approve of his handling on inflation, 27% on, on gas prices. Are those the 27% who, who chalk up gas prices to uh, being Vladimir Putin's fault? I want to know who those people are, who, who think that the way gas prices have gone up, have doubled in the last you know, year and a half. Who thinks that's good? Well, I'll tell you who, Kevin, uh, the, Joe Biden thinks it's good. Joe Biden's advisors think it's good. Joe Biden's energy uh, sycophants think it's good. Joe Biden's cabinet thinks it's good. It is their stated position that gas prices should be much higher. To Debbie, further along Debbie Stabenow also thinks it's good. She oh, is yeah. Debbie Stabenow. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, sitting there, you know, uh, uh, talking about driving her Tesla around and, and well, I don't ever have to stop at a gas station. I mean. They are so out of touch on this. But you ask who these people are. There is a dedicated segment of the Democratic Party that thinks we ought to make it so miserable to drive a car that no one does. I mean, that's that's their view. That is yeah. their view. And Biden has embraced it. And so on inflation, specifically on energy, he doesn't really want gas prices to go down. If he did, he wouldn't be acting. The, he wouldn't be acting the way that he is. So. What does this say, Scott, as we talk about the, and we'll talk a little bit here about uh, Tuesday's uh, primaries contest, especially in, in California, but is as far as where Biden is now and how this week plays out, do you, I mean, do you, you said a moment ago, this, or maybe one of, one of you did, that this is the, the playbook of the Democrats this week is to try to change the narrative and try to change the story here. And I guess the question is, is there a chance that will happen? Is this, I mean, we don't know exactly what's going to be brought up in the January 6th, uh, you know, the, the, this primetime made-for-TV event. Um, ostensibly, they have some very talented people to tell a story. It kind of reminds me of the, uh, of the political conventions during the pandemic, where it was all pretty much a show, you know, and kind of made for, for broadcast purposes. I mean, what are the chances, in your opinion, that that'll be successful? I think very little. I, I think public opinion on this is hardened. I think you know, the Democrats are where they are. The Republicans are where they are. And, and, and it's not like there's a lot of mystery here. I mean, this whole thing happened on live television. We all watched it. There's been a lot of news coverage. This committee has been leaky. And so there's lots of, you know, we've already read a lot of what they're going to do, the people they've spoken to. So to me, there would have to be some game-changing new information that we've never heard 
in order for this to really but you know we, much of anything. We have, and, and by the way, by the way, all this is going on against the backdrop of all these other problems we were talking about. And again, if you're just the average person and you sort of know what happened on January 6th, there's not a lot of mystery about it. Um, how much time are you going to devote to that when you are going to bed every night wondering if you can afford to fill up your car tomorrow? I mean, th- these are fundamental life issues for people and they are not going to be distracted from them. I can assure you. Well, I, I, I know that those realities aren't going to go away. I guess what I'm thinking about is, you know, we've also been distracted in years past though, by tiger King, you know, and the staircase and any one of a number of really well-produced documentaries on Netflix or other places. What, what staircase American- in particular are you talking about, Joe? Cause I'm, I'm the staircase. That yeah, was a uh, Netflix. Netflix. like a murder. Netflix. Yeah. Joe was <laughs> taken in by Netflix. Like <laughs> Netflix <laughs> watches it on his Roku. And he, he That's his only Netflix source of Roku. pop culture. Is that, <laughs> you know, this is, this is not an avenue <laughs> to, to attack Joe. <laughs> the point being is, okay. Have you heard of Tiger King? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hasn't everyone. Okay. My point being is that I think that if something is very well produced and tells a really good story and, and I think that there is a, and, and, and it becomes, even though people don't really have water coolers anymore, or maybe the offices aren't quite as present. It's that, that what they're banking on is that it's a live event. It's something which is breaking in their sequence. Talk was talking about it. And, and it's possible that, that, that it gets people to be talking about it amongst themselves and then becomes part of the conversation. Yes, they're still going to be paying $5 for gas. They're still going to be upset about basically their cost of living going up, uh, out the roof and their wages not going up but, and, and crime going up and everything else. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. To, to, to me, if there's a well-produced TV show, it's possible that people will watch it. You know I'll, what, I'll say. Go ahead, Sean. I, go ahead. I, I I have an observation, but go ahead. I'll say two things. One, of course, it's going to be well produced. We got a lo- bunch of fake news people uh, orchestrating this whole entire deal. I mean, we got former ABC producers. We've got all these sort of people engaged with it. The other thing is, is you know, a friend of mine tonight, uh, his house was broken into uh, last night. His uh, home was set ablaze uh, by an arsonist in Louisville. This guy went around to everybody in his neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I just I think that there are a lot of things going on that, you know, it when we talk about these issues of crime and inflation and all these things in the abstract is one thing. Like there are real things happening in this country that are not being dealt with because people don't want to talk about it. The Democrats are scared of actually dealing with the people in their own party. Um, I, I just, I, 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 my, I can't, my friend over here who, who had his home set ablaze, uh, I think he's more concerned about where he's going to rest his head tonight because of the crime in Louisville versus, you know, what's going to be on prime time tomorrow night on CNN. I, I also think as a, just a, an analytical matter, if you look at the generic ballot, Republicans lead, if you look at Biden's approval, if you look at the image of the Democratic Party, if you sort of look at all the metrics, people clearly prefer Republicans in this election. And this is a midterm and has nothing to do with Donald Trump. He's not on the ballot. Um, there's no evidence at the moment that voters are holding, even if they think Donald Trump did something inappropriate, bad, wrong, whatever, or on January 6th. There's no evidence they're holding that against rank and file Republicans running for Senate and running for House. Now, Democrats would love to make this election about that, but there's no evidence that people are buying it. I mean, every time something happens, the Democrats promise us, oh, this is going to be the game changer for the election. Remember when the when the Dobbs decision, the draft decision leaked, we were promised for days and days that this was going to turn the midterms on their head. Well, since that time, Joe Biden's job approval has gone down. The Republican lead on the generic ballot has gone up. And the issues are the top issues remain inflation, 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 inflation and economy. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just I think people people's lives are being upended. They don't care about Donald Trump right now. They care about getting 
America back on track. They may deal with Donald Trump in 2024. And if he runs and is the nominee, I suspect the people who are upset about January 6th uh, and that didn't vote for him in 2020 because they didn't like him for whatever. I, I suspect that's when it will manifest itself. I just I see very little empirical evidence right now that it's manifesting itself um, in the context of this midterm, maybe in 24. But right now, I don't see it. So, uh, Joe, you, you started this by talking about how we're, we're all in different states. I think we're, you guys are all in the same state. I'm, I'm out of state. I've been traveling for some weddings in the last week. And um, frankly, it's a lot of these weddings. I just don't know a lot of people there. And so I'm doing the kind what, of a lot of folks don't know about Jared. He's a wedding crasher. Like He literally <laughs> spends the summer driving up the eastern seaboard. Yep. And he just picks up the local paper and shows up. And, He's the uh, Vince Vaughn of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I run this divorce firm with my best friend. Um, and, but so I've done a lot of the water cooler talk with random people and, you know, at the buffet line or whatever. And every single person I've talked to, it's either been, man, it was so expensive to, to drive here. I can't, people who are 60, 70 years old, I've never seen gas like this. Young people, younger people, my age, my rent, I don't, I think we're going to have to move because of my rent. People who I know who live in DC or uh, we had a wedding in DC man, I don't know about this part of town anymore. These are the kind of things that people are talking about. Just again, these are people I didn't know an hour before I started chatting with them. And they're worried about the gas prices, inflation, crime, because it's affecting them like it's never affected them before. The crime is record breaking. The gas prices are higher than they ever have been. It's not just that gas is expensive. It's the highest you've, it's ever been. Uh, me and my wife are road tripping this week. We are searching for the lowest prices because we're fill, you know, you're filling up the tank. 10 cents matters a lot when we, you know, we've got a Honda Pilot. It takes a lot of gas. These are the things that every single person I talk to is caring about. I guarantee you they will not be tuning in for some random committee hearing. Why are Certainly. you poor? Why are you poor? You can't afford like some sort of expensive EV that you exactly. can like, charge up like well, oh. You, you deserve a raise, honestly. <laughs> Somebody should increase well, your salary. Yeah, and, and, you know, to, to Scott's point about the sort of, I mean, the, the messaging on this has been just atrocious, right? And we, we see this in, in Kentucky and at the national level. And for lack of a better term, they, they are literally peeing on our leg and telling us it's raining. The, the governor of Kentucky gets up there and says, the economy's on fire. We have less people working now than we did pre-pandemic. I mean, this is a joke. The it's, labor force fire, it's, it's on fire. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, but I mean, part of the, just, part of the concern offensive. is, is if, part, the issue and Sean can talk about this from your experience in, in state government, Sean, and, and that is, is that tax receipts are going to go up when everything is more expensive. Right. And so in <laughs> yeah. some regards, people sure. who are making budgets are saying, this is great. This is like, it's our, our rainy day fund is going to be brimming uh, because the fact that you have all these, well, yeah, if you're charging, if everything is costing more, you're going to, you know, that tax, the, the, you know, the, the tax returns are going to be big too. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think the economy being on fire is kind of like that gif of that dog sitting, having coffee on his, in his kitchen where the flames are like erupting around him. I mean, wait, wait, one second, Sean. Scott, fine. Sean has no, not replaced not a, me as the yeah. person responsible for explaining gifts on uh, the podcast. Is that a gif or a meme? You're confusing I, Joe. I, I think it's a meme. I think it's, it's a, a meme. meme. Yeah. There, there, are two, there are two versions. Don't put this back on me. Sean, Sean, Sean I'm going to deduct you Sean 10 millennial points. Sean is the one points, to be ridiculed here and not me. Go ahead and explain the, some more the, emojis to me here. Go ahead. The, the still version, the still version would be a meme. And the animated version where it zooms in on the dog's face and says, this is fine. That would be so What's hit. the dog doing? Drinking coffee while his whole entire home is erupting in flames, which is what's happening in this economy under Joe Biden and Andy Bashir. And he says, this is fine. This is fine. So it's sort of an ironic statement, given that he's literally roasting. Oh, it's irony. Thank I you. I think <laughs> is the point. John, want to explain it? Yeah, first? yeah, yeah. I mean, explain, it, explain it a little more to me. No, I don't, I don't think I can explain this. I mean, if you don't know what it is, then I, I, you just live under a rock. Which, I'm going to print it out for you here, Joe. I know. We need to like have someone like describe this in a, like, and have it carried via carrier pigeon to joe arnold so he can interpret it this on his own explanation brought to you by kevin's quiz which is coming up in about five minutes uh <laughs> but no but the, the point of all of it of course is the fact and to your back back to your point jared is that you know the, the reality of everyday life is inescapable and this is what in fact people are are thinking about and, and caring about and 
And I, I've said in the past, Scott, you know, uh, with the midterms coming up, I wondered aloud throughout this whole process because the predictions for the way this is going to go have been in place for months. And I've always wondered aloud, okay, what is the disruptor? What is, is anything that can change between now and then? And that, that, that time is getting narrower and narrower until November comes around. Let, 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 let me talk, let me ask you about, this is the, the, the latest bellwether perhaps could be the primaries this week. Uh, for instance, in, in California, and perhaps from a criminal justice perspective, might be if you look at San Francisco, which just a couple of years ago, after uh, you know, sort of the BLM protests and some of the criminal justice reform movement vaulted uh, the progressive uh, DA uh, Chase Bodan to to into, into power there. Now he has been recalled. Uh, so by in fact one of the most progressive communities in the country. Is this, to you, to, to you, is this a canary in the coal mine for progressive politicians in America? Oh, yeah. I, I think this, this, this experiment with essentially uh, uh, saying we're going to leave all these people on the streets uh, in the name of social justice or whatever, I, this is over. And uh, the people of San Francisco have had enough. But I think the people of a lot of cities in America have had enough. I mean, you're even seeing some big city Democrat mayors who had carved out pretty liberal identities uh, turning on, you know, I mean, even heck, even Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, one of the most violent cities and a big liberal uh, has has kind of turned around the mayor of Bowser of Washington, D.C. You know, let them literally write defund the police on the street. And now claims she was never for that and she wants more <laughs> cops i mean i mean these, these these politicians hear the footsteps and they got a lot louder after the san francisco recall uh and it's a it's a quality of life issue i mean that that's what really what we're talking about here it's a quality of life you know do you feel safe stepping out of your home do you feel like your kid's school is providing a quality education do you feel like your dollar is going as far as it did five months ago do you feel like you can afford to live is your is your quality of life getting better or worse and that's different than the january 6th issue that's not a quality of life issue it might be a quality of government issue it might be a quality of the health of our democracy but it's not an, an immediate quality of life issue and so i think the way this midterm is shaping up is a referendum on quality of life and whose policies are making it worse and it's Democrats across the country in control of these cities and in control of the federal government. I did see, by the way, uh, the Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, Fetterman, released his first advertising of the general election campaign this week. And his ads, I mean, number one, they, they look like Trump campaign ads. And number two, it's like the message is Washington is, doesn't care about you. Washington has ignored you. Washington's forgotten about you. Washington isn't. Well, who's running Washington? <laughs> Who's running Washington right now? It doesn't say it, but we all know it. Right. And so literally the last refuge of a Democratic candidate for Senate is to blame Washington, even though, you know, if you have an IQ that's higher than the plastic tip end of a shoelace, you'll instinctively know, well, my God, it's Joe Biden's fault. It's Nancy Pelosi's fault. It's Chuck Schumer's fault. Even this Democrat running for the Senate says so. I mean, they really have nowhere to go here because of how bad. How bad it's gotten and how and frankly, just how how sour the American people are on virtually every facet of quality of life. Uh, I'll also add to the uh, Rick Caruso uh, winning in L.A., I think is a huge uh, potential sort of uh, victory. I'm putting that in air quotes, too. I mean, um, it, it, the possibility of L.A. having Caruso in New York, having Eric Adams, both people who sort of embrace uh, proactive policing who reject these ideas of defunding the police want fully funded proactive. Uh, it, this is sometimes uses bad term, but the most successful policy of maybe the last 50 years, broken windows policing. Um, and Rick Crusoe, a guy who's endorsed by Kim Kardashian, if that gives you any sense of, of who he is. The, and the possible Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> Strange <laughs> bedfellows, but um, the possibility of, of L.A. and New York having mayors like that, it, it, I mean, could really save these cities for, for sort of lack of a better description, uh, because they, they reject these these super progressive ideas. Now, Sean brought up earlier, and I don't know, and certainly, Sean, I'm very sorry for your friend's situation here in, in Louisville, Kentucky, where his home was, was broken into and, and burned 
And as you pointed out, it's it's no matter what someone's political proclivities are before something like that happens, you it politics kind of go aside when when, when it's something affects you personally. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I I do wonder about um, I mentioned before as far as like criminal justice and this and and gun safety and the mass shootings that are going on. It, is that at all a disruptor here in any of these primaries and 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 as and or the midterm for that matter? Because you know certainly Republicans are consistent as far as on uh, not wanting to be soft on crime and to make sure the criminals are held accountable for what they do. And I would think that every every American wants to that, that whatever gunmen are doing horrible things to people should be held accountable. But I guess the, the, the question the Democrats might be looking at as far as the, some of these situations you mentioned January sixth, but does the gun violence that has been talked about the last couple of weeks and, and those tragedies, does that change anything? I think, I mean, I, I'd look to Scott to kind of talk about the national sort of perspective. He's more plugged in with the U.S. Senate, which I think is more likely to reach an outcome on, on anything as it relates to the gun violence. But I mean, the specific example that I gave was more broadly speaking, which is this, this crime, this pandemic of crime that is occurring across the United States and, you know, there was no gun involved uh, with with my friend. My friend, uh, you know, he wasn't even at his house when it happened. Um, and uh, but you know, he's he's been affected by this. And so, I, I, I mean, Scott, I mean, you want to talk about the gun the gun yeah. thing because I know I know you're more engaged at the national level to like actually be able to point us to what you're hearing in the U.S. Senate and the House and what might actually be achievable and what what may not be achievable. Yeah, I, I think that this is one of, you know, when you have a complicated, contentious issue, like the, the Rubik's Cube has to line up just right, you know, for something to happen. And this actually might be one of those moments where it happens. The Democrats have an incentive to get to an outcome here to prove to their people that they can actually get anything done at all. So they, they have an incentive to do something, even if it's not everything they want. And the Republicans, I think, may also have an incentive to do something here that is more focused on criminal control than gun control. I mean, you know, that, that's the, really the difference between the two parties. Democrats want gun control. Republicans want criminal control. And so I think, you know, Republicans for years have in this debate, as it's raged on, have always said we've got to tackle the mental health aspects of this debate. But it seems like because of where the Democrats are politically needing to produce something, anything, and where the Republicans are, which is stating out loud repeatedly, we, we have to tackle mental health. The Rubik's Cube may line up. That'll be narrow. It'll be very targeted. And it'll certainly be disappointing to everybody who wants to ban AR-15s and confiscate guns and, and so on and so forth. But it actually might be germane to the problem. Uh, I don't think the Senate, it doesn't sound to me like they're going to put raising the age from 18 to 21 to buy one of these guns in there. I don't think that's going to make it. Doesn't mean states won't do it. Florida, of course, did it. Uh, But I do think there's a possibility that you could see some additional layers of background interaction if an 18 to 21 year old tries to purchase a weapon and specifically in obtaining any juvenile records. Uh, that may exist on that person so that, you know, when you walk in on your 18th birthday and buy an AR-15 and several hundred rounds of ammunition, if you've had a history of mental health interactions uh, or violent tendencies, that, that those records get immediately sucked into the database. I think that's possible. That's, what the, that's what's within the realm of the possible. And so if you're a Republican legislator, if I were giving you messaging advice, I would say, go home, tell your people that what you enacted was criminal control. No gun control. We didn't infringe upon the Second Amendment. We've not done one thing to a law-abiding citizen. What we have done is we've invested in mental health, and you all know there's a mental health crisis, and we have invested in criminal control. And, and I, think, I think it'll sell. If they can get there, I think it'll sell uh, and, uh, and, and, and actually be you know, looked upon favorably. I mean, there, there are some people, of course, who, who do want nothing to happen, but it's pretty obvious that something could happen here that's actually germane, targeted, and protects the integrity of the Second Amendment. Those are the goals of the Republicans, and it, it feels like they might they might have a chance. I think you're right that it has to stay on a pretty narrow track, but I mean, already we've seen people try to derail it. I think while we're sitting here recording, the House of Representatives is passing their 
liberal wish list of what they could do on guns. Um, the majority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, was putting artificial deadlines, I think, of this Friday, if he wanted a bill on the floor, not letting the two sides who were actually, you know, trading paper back and forth and doing the hard work, take the time that's necessary to come up with a real solution, but instead just wanting a checkmark. So, Scott, I think I think you're right. And I think there is a lot of reason to be optimistic about reaching a solution. But the leaders involved need to let, you know, the people, the people here get to a solution and not impose these crazy artificial deadlines. It, it does seem to me that they've given the necessary space to Senator Cornyn of Texas and Senator Murphy to work this out. It doesn't feel like, you know, on the, on the, uh, some of the other show votes under in the Schumer regime, you know, they've set these weird deadlines and they're purely just political votes. They mean nothing. There was no outcome intended, but I do, it does feel like they've given uh, Cornyn and Murphy and Toomey and some others the space necessary. I, you know, I, everybody keeps saying this week, this week, this week. They're not going to vote this week, I don't think. But it feels like they may be getting at least closing in on the contours or confines of, of something that's workable. I also think the vote totals here matter. I don't think mm-hmm. if I were in the Republican shoes, I'd be shooting for 10 votes. I'd be shooting for 20 or 25 because you want something that looks broad and bipartisan and, and collective, right? Uh, I mean, I think there's probably 25 Republicans who won't vote for anything, but there may be 20 to 25 who, who could vote for something that's targeted and germane and really focused on mental health and criminal control, not gun control. And if you could get up to that number, I think it'd be a pretty strong statement. It'd be also make it really hard for the House to reject that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and ultimately, I think politically, the Democrats cannot afford uh, to reject it if that's, if that's where the Senate winds up. They're not out of the woods yet. We'll see if they if they get there, but it, it feel like I have a feeling they're, they're closer now than they have been in some of the recent iterations of this uh, negotiation. Bear in mind, as we said earlier, that was a unanimous vote in the Senate on the Supreme court security measure, which is still not getting a vote in the house. So I wouldn't count the chickens here. I think there, there yeah. might be some people rejecting anything, which is too bipartisan. I mean, at a certain point, if there are that many Republican senators who are for it, there must be something in there which I can't vote for. Well, though, but those, but those are people who don't want outcomes. I mean, and, and, and I think, I think one of the things this, this is going to reveal is who wants an outcome and who wants to scream about politics. I mean, I was uh, doing some CNN uh, Monday night and they had a, they had a, an interview with the DA in, in Philadelphia. And of course, you know, he gets on there and it said, well, the answer to this is to throw out of office any member of Congress who's ever met with the NRA, who's ever taken a contribution from the, throw them out. They shouldn't be allowed. This is not a guy who wants an outcome. This is not a guy who wants an outcome because he has no respect for the millions of Americans who believe in the Constitution, believe in the Second Amendment, believe in conservative you know, values as it relates to not radically altering our founding documents every time something bad happens. This is not a guy who wants an outcome. There are Democrats who have his viewpoint. And so as we seek solutions here, I do think it's important to, to realize there are some people who want outcomes and there are some people who want politics. And it's important to me to sort those folks out. I mean, fortunately, they, they're usually pretty helpful because they, they reveal themselves. But it's quite obvious to me there are people in both parties in the Senate who want an outcome. And uh, I, just, I just hope if they get to one, the, the House will follow their lead. On a Richter scale type uh, question for you, Scott, in terms of the primaries this week and what we saw in California in particular, is do you think the trends that have been going toward more of a Republican sweep or victories and, and taking over the House and Senate majority in, in the fall, did those trends continue? Did they yeah. increase? I, well, I think the trends continued. I think the the backlash against progressivism continued. So you would think that would portend well for the Republicans. And then on top of that, we saw some state by state polling this week. Civics, uh, the organization that that does some national polling, and then they issue their state by state polls as well. I mean, you look at the state by state on Joe Biden right now. I mean, he is stuck in the 30s in all of these targeted Senate races. And even some that you're not thinking about right now, like Colorado, where he's he's mired in the 30s. It's really difficult for a Democrat candidate for Senate to outrun the president by more than three points. And so if Joe Biden is sitting at 36, 37, 38 in your Senate race and you're a Democrat candidate for Senate, good luck. On top of all the other trends we've seen, the boat anchor that is Joe Biden on you will be heavy. And uh, And so in addition to the primary trends, I just continue to see in the polling trends 
Uh, I mean, how how do you expect to outrun it as a Democrat uh, when the when the top of your party is so underwater with the American people? I do want to get to Kevin's quiz here in a second, but but any other thoughts from anyone, including you, from you, Scott, in terms of what are we looking for the next as you know between now and November? What are the what the next developments as you're kind of keeping an eye on? Well, what would defer to others as well. I, to me, the, the next developments are in the Senate races, finding out who the nominees are. I mean, we, we've got to pick nominees uh, in, a, in a couple of places, including Missouri, uh, which I think comes up in early August. And so whether that seat comes on the board or not will depend on whether the Republicans nominate Eric Greitens or not. And, uh, and so that one I'm still, I'm still watching very carefully. So just kind of rounding out the nominees uh, for the Republican Party uh, to me is – is um is is what I'm watching. Plus the the fundraising. We're going to get fundraising reports in July. We're going to see how much money these Democratic Senate incumbents have, uh, and we're going to see if they're as well funded in this cycle as they have been the last couple of cycles. So there's a couple of notes for me. And I, I think Scott made uh, an interesting point that'll keep coming up. Is there are probably a lot of Senate races out there that we're not even thinking about yet that have these all star candidates who are going to get a lot of national attention. And it's because of the great environment and they found a good candidate, uh, I think, in Colorado and I think uh, one up in Washington, too. Just some some unexpected places that a great Republican could really make it a competitive race. Oh, yeah. And and uh, and um I think the Republicans feeling momentum and feeling like they're on offense will have resources. I mean, I, you know, there'll be money to play in some of these states and put Democrats on defense. And so you could definitely see uh, this map get bigger over the course of the next uh, couple of months, especially if Joe Biden continues to sink lower. It's, it's amazing. I mean, there was an article in Politico this week about how Joe Biden is seething. That was their word about his low poll numbers and how he couldn't believe that he sunk below where Donald Trump is, because, of course, Biden routinely calls Trump the worst president in history. And he is seething that he is now viewed by the American people in lower esteem than Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, they, they know they are in trouble, but they think they have a communications problem. They think the issue is, well, we just don't talk enough and we're not getting out. And so he's written some op-eds that were ridiculous, by the way, and <laughs> he's given a couple of speeches. His gun speech was ridiculous. They don't have a communications problem. They have policy problems because their policies have led to the inflation and Democrat policies in these cities have led to the crime. Their policies are the problem, not their communications tactics. And I don't think Joe Biden is ready to admit that yet. But every day that he doesn't admit it is a day closer to catastrophe for his party. I know this is this is a, a dangerous tangent to mention before we try to get off to Kevin's quiz. But the other thing that just is, that comes out to me, uh, given election integrity qu concerns uh, and January 6th, you know, uh, hearings coming up, this, this it bothers me just watching the results coming in in California, that the final results in many of these races aren't going to be known for weeks in some cases because of the mail-in ballots, that anything postmarked by election day will be counted and if the signature matching problems might have time to cure those problems. It, I just think it's, it's not very uh, encouraging or it's not very reassuring as a voter when things take that long to happen. I understand everyone needs the equal opportunity to vote, and I certainly believe in the franchise. I like the way Kentucky has done it, frankly, you know, in the sense that we've we've broadened the, 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 the voting hours, but you go and you vote in person for the most part. And then you and then the election results are known pretty quickly, pretty immediately. And. I know that it's a third rail right now to bring up anything with the words election integrity, because then you're considered to be a conspiracy theorist. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, but I'm just saying, I think it'll be, I'll be curious to see, you know, if, if this, if these issues and tight races continue, especially with the pandemic perhaps and COVID making a resurgence and, and some of the, um, some of the, con the constraints or, or changes in voting that were put in place two years ago, if those all come back this fall. Yeah, I, well, I think that you already have people calling for the reinst uh, reinstatement of mask mandates, so it's only natural that you'd see other kinds of uh, changes uh, also coming if if uh, COVID uh, continues. I, I I really hope they don't <laughs> do that. I, I don't I don't think we're in an emergency anymore, in my view, and um, and those were supposedly one time emergency measures. I, I mean, look, the Phil uh, the the Pennsylvania Senate Republican primary took couple of weeks to sort out and it was 900 vote race. And well, so and that, that's, that's an old fashioned kind of, of, you know, election counting thing because of how tight it was. 
no, no, no. It was no. because of the laws, and it's because of the laws in Pennsylvania. They don't allow the counting of the mail-in ballots oh, until that's after. Right. You're right. So and so, um, and then you still had ballots coming in, and so to, I mean, it was making your point though, which basically you've got these ballots coming in after the election, and they got to be counted, and and it was close on top mm-hmm. of that. So um, yeah, I, I I do think it it causes people to well, obviously, I mean, you know, you're going to have people like Donald Trump say in any situation like that, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's cheating. Right. And that doesn't mean that it is, but it <laughs> it certainly opens the door for that. So I'm with you. I'm 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 for I'm for fast counts if you can get there at all possible all right kevin it's been a long time yeah it is now the return of kevin's quiz thanks joe so so this week we we will pay tribute to one of my favorite u.s senators and probably one of the most enjoyed voices in modern politics and i'm talking of course of louisiana senator john kennedy Kennedy. he's been called the punchline politician and this week Senator Kennedy got a lot of attention for his reaction to high gas prices. Uh, in, in my state, the price of gas is so high that it would be cheaper to buy cocaine and just run <laughs> everywhere. I so always wondered about, by the way, I've always wondered about him because he has a one-liner every week. Is he writing right. these or does he have like a team of writers? Is every, you, you work there, Kevin. Is everyone in his staff just like a comedy writer or? I, I, I think it's all him because he uh, has, I mean, even in an interview where it seems like you're prepared and then you get an off the wall question, he's got, he's got the exact, exact phrase. Quite a uh, and so, so this, so tonight for our, our quiz, I'm going to ask you to put on your John Kennedy hats because we're going to play complete the Kennedy quote. I'm going to read you a part of one of Senator Kennedy's New Orleans notable quotables, and you'll have to fill in the rest. And then, of course, I got the the great senator himself to tell us how it really should be said. (laughs) If you guys are ready. We're ready. Let's do it. Uh, This is Senator Kennedy talking about uh, the defund the police movement. He said, quote, if you hate cops just because they are cops, you don't know a thing about them. The next time you get in trouble, call blank. Who does crack who addict. John Kennedy want you to call? What'd you say, Sean? A crack <laughs> addict? Yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters. I'll say call Ghostbusters. Joe Biden. <laughs> call Joe Biden. Okay. What do you think, Jared? I have no idea. I was thinking like a therapist or something like that. <laughs> they wanted to send, you know, like uh, therapy people these calls. So therapist is my guess. All right. What's the answer, Kevin? Give us the, give us the quote. I'll put it this way. If you hate cops just because they're cops, you don't know anything about them, then next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. <laughs> oh, Sean knocks it out of the park on number one. Oh, oh. call a crackhead. <laughs> Good job, Sean. All over the crack. Sean. Did you know right. that or was that a guess? I actually am. I, I really love John Kennedy probably more than I should. You're a student of the game. I, I, I am. I'm a student of his. So I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the rest of this quiz because I think this might be the only one I win. All right. What's the next, Kevin? All right. Here's number two. This is him again uh, talking about uh, the bad state of the economy. And uh, he says, quote, we cannot run the greatest economy by putting fairy dust and this into our cars. What are you putting in your cars with fairy dust? Unicorn Unicorn. farts. Not say unicorn farts. Unicorn farts? That's what I say. I'm gonna say hope. <laughs> no, it's it's hope. it's worse than that. Uh, it's 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 bad. Uh, I I don't know what it is, but it's it's not either of those things. <laughs> All right, what is it, Kev? Hey, we cannot run the greatest economy by putting fairy dust and unicorn urine in our car. <laughs> oh, I was close. <laughs> you were close. We yeah, urine. we said unicorns. That's okay. It's good. Right. Unicorn- I said it was worse. It was unicorn urine. <laughs> unicorn urine. Is that right. worse? I don't know if it is or not. I never. Uh, Never smelled it. Uh, and so, so number three, this is going to round it out. And uh, while this one was said during a U.S. Senate hearing, I want to just put the caveat, if anyone out there in flyover country is listening with their kids, they may want to skip ahead a few seconds because this one could be All right. a little dicey. Press that fast forward 30 seconds. <laughs> right. This is uh, the senator at a, a budget committee hearing talking to a nominee. And he's ending his remarks, quote, now I want the record to reflect. I did not call Senator Sanders a blank. What did he not call Senator Sanders? Dumbass. A slut. 
Oh, yikes. I think Sean might be right. I've seen yeah, that. That was I'm going to have to go with Sean. Yeah. We'll go with Sean on Because he was one. right on crack. <laughs> I want Let's hear it, Kev. That I did not call Senator Sanders an ignorant slut. Ignorant slut. <laughs> an ignorant oh. slut. By the way, if, if, if I could, because I'm the only one old enough to remember this when it was actually on the air, that phrase is actually from Saturday Night Live from Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. Right. And Jane, you ignorant slut. Exactly. Don't pretend so, like the rest of us don't know that, Joe. But I was actually alive and watched it when it was on the air. So, <laughs> so you didn't use my favorite John Kennedy quote, Kevin. Okay. Which is, he says in a foreign policy hearing, I don't trust any of these Middle Eastern countries any more than I trust gas station sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The man, the, the man is an endless machine of these notable quotables. And you're right, Sean, there were 10 more out there that I could have included, but uh, you guys, you guys did very well. You knocked out of the park. I think gold medal goes to Sean, but uh, Joe and Scott have a definite uh, run around run unicorns. If I could add one more question, non John Kennedy related to the quiz earlier tonight on this podcast, Scott referred to the, the, the ends of shoelaces and those little spindles on the end there. The question is, what are those called? He called him an egglet. Egglet is correct. Aglet. Yeah. A G L E T. Yeah. Very good. That's a good Scrabble word. Yeah, that's a good. There is actually a. I'll use that on my next Wordle. <laughs> I hate that. In fact, I went into my Twitter and I muted everything about Wordle, so I don't have to see this <laughs> in my stupid Twitter feed every day. Your well, Twitter feed that? is awfully stupid. I'd agree with you about uh, that. Well, it's less stupid after I muted that. <laughs> We're an hour in, but we t- we do have time for a little scene. Red herd. And uh, who wants to, to start off uh, our steam red herd for the week? Anything Crawford. from you, Jared? Well, I don't want to – dare I say – I'm Joe, maybe you get off tonight, but if you have not watched Obi-Wan, uh, that's all I'll leave it at. Just Obi-Wan totally Kenobi. Just Obi-Wan totally Kenobi. Engage. Disney but Plus. The, uh, the Obi-Wan have you, have, you, have you watched all three episodes? Yes, yeah. yes. Have you uh, watched it, Sean? There's a yeah, new I, one out tonight, I think. Uh, there's a new one tonight. I've not watched the one tonight. tonight. Yeah, I have not watched tonight's yet, but the third one gave us what we wanted. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. Um, Being that I haven't seen all the Star Wars movies, Joe, I, I, Joe, point, Joe, Joe, when I, Joe, when I retire, Joe. I'm going to have you guys like my, my retirement gift can be the entire pantheon of Star Wars, and I can just start and Took me about ten years, and I can get caught up in about twenty five. We'll bring in the VHS tapes. Why? Why, <laughs> oh, why would? Why would we give you a gift? A gift. <laughs> If Why you would we give you me? a gift at all? Oh, I thought you're giving me a gift. <laughs> I mean, all right, so Jared's seen Obi Wan Kenobi, which I yeah. thought Sean was going to say. Right, uh, Kevin, what do you got? Uh, so, so this uh, week we we marked D Day, uh, and uh, I, so over the weekend I watched Saving Private Ryan, uh, which I thought you know obviously one of the best war films of all time. Just to t- take a moment and remember remember the sacrifice and the heroism, and uh, a, a nice nice movie. Good choice. Sean Southern? Yeah, I was going to go with Obi-Wan, uh, but uh, I did go see Top Gun, oh, Maverick. Yeah, It is probably the greatest movie I have seen in the last 10 or 15 years. Really? Greater than any of the Marvel movies? Yes. No, it's, it, is, it is the most superior movie. I mean, it is... I don't agree with that. I thought it was very good. I saw it too, and I loved it. I don't think it's better than every movie I've seen for 15 years. <laughs> Well, I mean, if it was Joe that was saying that, I'd be like, well, you haven't seen any movies. It's the only movie you've been seeing in the last 15 years. (laughs) It's great, though. I mean, I really, I I thought it was well done. I I, I thought it was good. And I'm pro these, these, uh, you know, these directors and and other people not kowtowing to China on on that. The Spider-Man movie also did very well at the box office. And so now we have two movies that... Uh, we're very successful at the box office that without uh, having uh, dealt with the Chinese censorship issues. You got to see the Top Gun movie in a theater. Don't wait. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. go to the movie yeah. theater and feel it. It's it's terrific. It's really good. Joe, what do you got? Well, Scott, you know about this because you and I were were cruising together with our families. But uh, I have begun and am enraptured by a, a biography of Daniel Boone uh, called Blood and Treasure. Uh, and the fight for America's first frontier. It's uh, Bob Drury and uh, Tom Clavin. 
and it's 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 pretty brutal, like the American frontier was. But it's fascinating, and just a lot of of just great anecdotes, facts, and and just the story of uh, really a, an American legend, certainly, but one who has maybe has not been celebrated or talked about as, as much in recent years. The first like few paragraphs, first couple of pages of that book, which you <laughs> when you hand it to me are just riveting. So I'm yeah. looking forward to borrowing that when you're done. I'll wrap us up with um, another streaming show that I watch called The Boys on Amazon Prime. If you like superhero genre stuff, very it's good. Not for children, it's no. <laughs> and uh, but it but it is entertaining, and I and I find the characters entertaining. I never read the comic books before I saw the show, but it's called The Boys. They just released their new season and put out three episodes, and it's uh, I mean, they do some outrageous stuff, but it's it's a pretty entertaining thing. And uh, I was on enough airplanes and. Uh, other modes of transportation uh, the last few days to uh, to uh, watch it. So I'm enjoying that and looking forward to the next set of episodes. I, I agree with that. Very great show. Uh, I'll, I'll also do a second plug for uh, Stranger Things season four. It is the greatest season of Stranger Things since the first season. Highly recommend it. Um, well worth watching. I've never seen any of that. I, I know people who, who love it. I, I haven't haven't watched it yet. I guess I may have to get on that one. I think I think if you're a child of the '80s, like you know you and the other old guy on this, Joe, it's the 1980s, not the 1880s. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm there's... a big fan of Chester Arthur. Is he in this? Chester A? No, no, sorry. <laughs> but no, highly recommend that. I mean, it, it it was really it was really well done. All, All right. right, take it away, Scott. Thanks for joining us on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. And thanks to Jared, Kevin, Joe, and Sean for being with us. Uh, we went on a little hiatus, and we appreciate you uh, plugging back in with us here as we uh, cover politics uh, with a Flyover Country uh, uh, point of view. We'll be back next week. We also have some interviews coming up uh, that we're going to publish this summer and uh, uh, have some great content as we head towards the midterm elections in November. So with that, gentlemen, thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.